Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've been waiting for, a podcast for podcasters. This is Creating the Greatest Show, and I'm your host, Casey Cheshire. Join me as we interview podcast hosts and investigate the ingredients of a successful interview podcast. We'll talk mistakes, earned skills, powerful questions, and more. This show is sponsored by Ringmaster, completely done for you, B2B podcast production. Here we go. Hit the button and I have hidden myself. That's right. Can't do a whole show staring at yourself on video. No, sir. I have to have all of my attention, all of my focus because my guest today is an absolute badass entrepreneur, sales leader, thought leader, podcaster, and competitive beer brewer. Let's go. I would say I'm a competitive beer drinker, so it's a match made in heaven. He is the co-host of the B2B Power Hour, hundreds of episodes recorded, and they've got some cool ways of doing it, which we're going to dive into. Live shows, roundtables, interactive. That sounds intriguing. That's this episode. Managing partner at Aligned, Nick Thicket. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to this. How did we get you, man? Unworthy, unworthy. I'm so glad you're here. Unworthy. I don't know. You're a brilliant host. I've learned a lot from oh, you thanks, too. Man. So I, I can't wait for this. I've I've been really excited. Seriously, yeah. That that's the best kind of show where everyone's just excited to get into it. So let's roll up the sleeves here. Dive in with that first question to pull back the curtain for us on your experience and share your most important strategy for a great podcast. The big thing that I learned through this entire process is try to think of the objections you're going to receive and try to put the spotlight on the brilliance that people bring to the table and really highlight their expertise and use that through storytelling because that's really what people gravitate towards. It That's what filled up my DMs is when we really got into the thick of the stories and the experiences that really drove change is what people always responded with. But there's one little caveat that I'll add to that. Also think about distribution. <laughs> ah, okay. So we got to highlight, highlight, we got to, let's start with that first part because that's brilliant. And then, yeah, we'll definitely get to distribution because somebody's got to listen to it at some point. Um, so talk to me about highlighting the experience and, and doing it with a story and storytelling seems to really pa- be really powerful. I know you, you've, you've sold things left and right. I mean, I, I almost called you a hustler in the introduction. I don't know <laughs> if that's a compliment or not. Uh, for me, it is. Uh, you're going door to door now to just working with giant enterprises and growth companies. I'm, I imagine you've had to tell a story or two and you've had to hear and, and share a story or two. So talk to me about how stories are so integrated into, uh, into podcasting and shows and experience. I learned a really interesting thing going through this that when we set out on this journey, I never expected. And um, what I learned is there's something called tacit knowledge. And I never heard of it before. Now that I know it, it makes the world makes a lot more sense. And tacit knowledge says that the rest of the world is not like math and science and it doesn't live by principles. Meaning that if you know the rules, it doesn't tell you everything. And this is why so often in, in life we hear, it depends. Because it depends on the scenario. Because what you see, the cue, will t- depend on how you act. And it will change everything. And when we started doing the podcast, it was really strange because people would give this brilliant process and they'd explain it step by step, you know, no more, no less than three steps, but no more than six. Very clean, very simple. And then nothing would happen. But we kept getting these messages of what if, what if, what if, what if. And I started to realize the the reason why sales, marketing, service, and so many industries seem impossible to learn, especially in a remote environment, is because the best way we learn in these types of skills is by mimicking or through osmosis, like the old days of being in the bullpen and hearing the stuff going on around you or mentorship and apprenticeship. But a lot of that is gone. And podcasting is one of the few ways in the remote world that we can open up almost like a virtual apprenticeship. And it has been the most beautiful, incredible experience, I think, of my entire career because I never expected it. And I'm sure you get it too. Like you get these amazing messages of people saying like, thank you. But it's the stories, once again, that really are like that lifeblood that really give it meaning 
more than just a thank you. Yeah. So like we've evolved as, as humans, um, brilliant apes to, you know, tell me how to do something, tell me an ape step process. And it's hard to remember, but you tell me about that one time you forgot to change your email, dynamic content, first name, last name, and you accidentally sent 2000 people to your first name. Yeah. You know, like that story will stick with you and that eight step thing on what you should do on your email might not. So there's something about, what is it about stories that makes it so much easier to remember and, and stick with? That, wh what makes the virtual apprenticeship so much more powerful? One of the things I've heard as I started diving into the psychology of this is that when we read a book, when we listen to a video that somebody's telling a very compelling story or a TED talk, we step in their shoes. And so it actually goes beyond logic to the emotional centers of our brain to take us through that journey and our brain can't tell the difference. Which you think about it, how incredible it is. Like you think about reading a book and you get that action picture in your brain and then you watch the movie and it's not the same. And whether you're, you know, you're excited or disappointed, you know, that's kind of how life is, right? And then, but when you see somebody else do that and that scenario comes up because you've somewhat lived through it, you have another tool in the toolbox. Man, that just happened to me. I, I was, I read The Gray Man and then I saw it on Netflix and it was absolute garbage on Netflix. <laughs> that's not exactly, that's not at all how, how it went down. Let me tell you how it went down, right? Because I, I was in those shoes and I experienced all that and it was an awesome adventure. It wasn't this cheesy Netflix movie special. Uh, so yeah, there's something about stepping into shoes and, you know, using the hammer yourself or at least pretending like you are to, to really learn something. I, what do they say? They, it's, you learn by doing, right? And so this is almost like this mimicry is a form of doing and in it, our imaginations. I can, I can have a kind of a, a top story that I can share that it hits home. Yeah. Um, my little sister couldn't talk for the longest time and they were really worried that she had neurological issues and we had seen every specialist you could possibly imagine. And it was, it was tough on our family. Yeah. And uh, we were sitting with a nurse playing and I had passed her some Lego and she didn't get it. Like I just passed her a toy and she missed. And the nurse looks at me and said, do you think she can see? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Well, do you, do you think that she can see? turns out all of these issues and the reason why she couldn't talk is because she couldn't see your lips move. And so a big part of human, think about all like the documentaries on Netflix. When you watch about like the mom and the dad and like teaching the baby how to hunt, teaching the baby how to survive. It's teaching by mimicking, by apprenticeship. Well, my little sister couldn't see to mimic. And so everything was just abstract. But the moment... Wow that she could see it was only within a couple of weeks that she started actually producing words and it started to advance very quickly because of that. And it made me realize in my work that we really discount what it's like to see what good should look like, what bad is and what great could be. Because if I tell you to go and just, Hey, I need you to go build pipeline and you've never done it before. Mm. What the hell do you do? And take that with anything in life. You know, you get married. What do you, you know, what, is, what does it mean to be a good husband? You have kids. What does it mean to be a good parent? I don't know. You know, maybe someone else does. But this is kind of what I mean, right? Is like, unless somebody can paint you done and you have some something to work off of, you're just wandering aimlessly, right? And right. as soon as we give them that, picture, whether it's perfect or not, is irrelevant because a starting point is a benchmark that they can build off of. And I think that's the one of the biggest things that I learned through this process and that life experience is that if we don't give people a starting point and don't overanalyze and try to make it perfect, it doesn't matter. But if we don't give them something that you actually paint that scenario so they know what to do, they're going to be like my little sister, years wondering why they can't do this thing and why they're failing getting frustrated with themselves when really 
they were never set up for success in the start with how we've naturally evolved to survive as a human species. Does it require the show to have story built into it? Like you could ask a bunch of tactical questions, but are we saying that for the, for this magical apprenticeship, we need the guest to be telling us in, in more of a story format than maybe a practical format or, or, or do you, you benefit need, from both? Well, you need the scenario. Cause if I yeah. say cold calling's dead, maybe for certain industries in a certain type of transaction, it is because maybe that's better off, you know, mid to late funnel for that specific industry vertical for what you're selling or the expertise that those sellers bring to that buying process. Yeah. But how do I know that to be true unless I give you the scenario? And that's why I think even like you look at all the fights on, well, fights is a bit excessive, but the disagreements on social about sales and marketing, why do they disagree? Nobody gave a scenario. They just made a statement. And that statement's based on what? So story. So, so does that mean then from a very tactical standpoint, as a podcast host, you need to elicit story. And I would say the challenge could be people don't necessarily have TEDx stories at the ready when you go to interview them. But I think it like the one thing I learned is I used to go really try and like script out the start of my intro, like my intros. And then I was talking to Jen Allen and a few other people about like what they did to go Jen. Actually, I, I joked with Jen a while back that one of my journal projects is how can I be more like Jen today? Cause she 100%. is just incredible. And one of the things that she did that I like, she always had these unbelievably great intros to the challenger podcast. I'm like, how, how do you come up with that? Like, what, what are you doing for your research? What is like your framework that you're building off of? And she's like, I only, I only interview people that I'm interested in that genuinely pique my curiosity. And then I tell them why. Mm. And so when you think of like a story or even stand up comedy, you have to give the context before you can go in emotionally connect to it or like move past. Right. So all you got to do is add, add credibility and context with your guests is all I've all I've done. And I focused on something that almost like the best teach the rest. What is one thing that they've been exemplary at? How the heck did they get there on, you know, let's go and peel that onion and let's see what the different layers were that got them there. Because nobody typically tells that story or if they do, it's only the highlight reel. They forget a lot of the other bits and pieces. So it, it, it makes it hard to learn because it's like, well, what was, what were the different lessons that stacked up to being great at that one thing? Right. Right. Do you have a favorite question you like to ask? Yes. Uh, and, and so you could take whatever, whatever you're asking about, where would a novice get this wrong? And so they'll tell me like, could you tell me a, could you paint me a picture of what that would look like? Or do you have any stories that we could, that we could discuss? And I love doing that in the pre-call too, because what I can do is I can figure out, okay, based on, well, think, think of like a buyer's journey. If we think about yeah. what is the story that the buyer's telling themselves about their role, about their team, about the state of the company, and what is the gap in reality and so if you're playing with that of like, where's that gap? Well, then our audience, we're just filling that gap with these interviews, with these stories, building that context, giving them those interesting bits and pieces to keep them hooked, to keep them going. But then they also know how to go and use it. And mm -hmm. so it, it really fills that whole thing. Cause like you think about if I want to implement a new skill and I'm not confident it's going to work, will I try it? Right. Like how many people have new year's resolutions? that never start. It's always funny. I, I remember going to the gym and you see the surge of people coming in. It's actually just kind of a pain in the ass because <laughs> you're just trying to keep doing whatever habit you're doing. And then people come in and man, does that drop off quick? Not yeah. at the end of January. 
it's like back to normal again. You're like, seriously? I mean, you can even get to February. Come on. But even think of that, like in podcasting, how many people, you know, spout theory and theoretically, this is what should be amazing. And when you actually peel back the onion, it's bullshit. That's actually not the truth. It's actually a much more watered down, simple way of actually doing things because what they're doing is sustainable ongoing. But when we think of like New Year's resolutions or starting a new task, we don't think of like the bits and the stages of getting there, the baby steps. And I think that's also where storytelling really comes in handy is it paints a picture of how I got there and what those baby steps could be. Because right. if I say, okay, like we have a workshop coming up that's how to build pipeline, like 200% of your annual quota in pipeline in 60 days or less. And I said, let's go do it. What are people going to do? They're going to burn out because all yeah. they're going to assume is more. Right. But that's the right. default. That's what they've taught themselves is the, that's the strategy is just do more until they learn yeah. until they know something else. Right. Yeah. Huh. When you mentioned the spouting bullshit, were you talking about guests? They're one of the biggest mistakes I made at the start when I was picking my guests. Morgan did a much better job at this, so I <laughs> can't, can't even pull them in on this. I was picking right. people with big reputations. And unfortunately, and luckily they didn't go past the, the pre-call interview, is I realized that they had read a lot of books and had done a lot of nothing. And so when we started to get into like actual practice and when they're like, oh yeah, well you need to be doing a hundred activities and you'll, in your experience, which of those activities were actually more valuable than the others. So, you know, if you could only spend an hour instead of the four hours you're talking about, what would you prioritize? Yeah. And they couldn't tell me because they hadn't done the work. They'd only read a book and it sounded good in theory, but they had never done it. And so there's a lot of creators online that are very good at what they do. That's creating content. Mm-hmm. And as long as you know that, then you're not keeping up with the Joneses trying to be this big celebrity and, you know, building this brand, this fake brand based on nothing. You know, it's kind of going back to the old saying of like reputation is what people say when you're not in the room. And that's built by actually doing the work. And if you can't explain it simply, what was the, the, oh, there's, it starts with an F it's like Feynman technique or something where it's, oh, it's something that was really interesting that Morgan introduced me to. And it's basically, how do you explain this to somebody in like third to sixth grade in very simple language, no jargon, because if you can explain it as simple as simple can be, you truly understand and we get taught when we're going and building our profession in whatever that profession may be, that big language makes you sound smart because that's what we got taught in school. That's what we see the PhDs do. But we know in sales and marketing and being hosts, if you make the person feel uncomfortable because you're trying to be like professors at webinar, <laughs> it's not that's a good true. conversation, right? You usually catch these guys on the prep on the prep call. Yeah. And before I was taking recommendations from the different companies that would email us, say, Hey, would you like to have this person on? And they would just give me the highlight reel. And I learned the hard way really fast that they had a big, they had done a really good job doing podcast roadshows and building a reputation off of uh, trust through association. So they were finding the influencers, the people that, you know, their, their audience was listening to, and then they were doing the roadshow to establish themselves as credible through the association of the other person they deem credible. Smart. And so they would build out a really big audience. And so they, but then you'd go and start getting into more tactical stuff and talking about the learnings and there was nothing there. Yeah. And so the one, I think the hardest things as a host too, is you have to respect respectfully decline. And that is an art in itself of, Hey, you know, after doing our call, I don't think my podcast would really put the spotlight on you the way you deserve. And I, I wouldn't recommend us moving forward. I'm sorry that uh, I wasted your time or whatever Mm. that looks like. Right. That's hard. (laughs) It is hard. Uh, That's where, 
that's great having a producer who can uh, cleverly do that for you. <laughs> well said. But, but I do like the direct approach. Uh, I actually had a call today with someone. Same kind of thing happened. And I learned a lesson. Uh, good, great person who I've, I've had on one of my shows said, hey, you should talk to this person. And it was an email, you know, and my knee jerk reaction was like, hell yeah, let's talk to that person. And it wasn't till right before the prep call, thankfully, not the show, that I'm looking this person up and it's like, this is a marketing podcast and they're not in marketing, right? They're not even, well, they're a little bit in sales, but it was like, it didn't seem like a fit at all. And it, and I'm like, man, it's, it is my bad. I just said yes, but now I've learned, okay maybe not do that. And when we had the call, I brought it up and I'm glad I did because the guest was thinking the same thing. He he was like, you know, I'm not really marketer. I, I'd probably learn from your show. I, I probably should listen to your show. You know, I need to get some insights, but I don't think I'm the one to, and, and, and I don't need us to, I think that was the, another learning. Like I don't need that guest to record an episode. There, There's no reason to do that. If it's not a good fit, I mean, I do like connecting with people, but it doesn't mean we have, and so we just, we spent the prep call just connecting and getting to know each other. And that felt great by the end of it. We left as, you know, good, good folks. And it was, it was a good, good conversation, but it didn't require us like, well, I guess we have to do this podcast. And my friend, friend who suggested it said, Hey, you know, no, no hard feelings. If if it's not a right fit, totally cool. Everyone was cool about it. So I, I was, I was glad that it went down that way. I think tied to that and like good catch and yeah tied to that is like what do you want from your audience because so you'll get the audience that hunt for certain people yeah and you know if you're just selling to them you know you're you're riding trends that's a hard place to be or do you want to be their weekly consumable that they oh like they as soon as it comes out they want to dive in because you have something so valuable and I think that was the thing I never asked myself soon enough is yeah. who specifically am I talking to and how do I want to change the way they view the world? And that's actually where with the B2B Power Hour, I was, I was picking guests. I would tell them this show was born out of one question. How do you succeed in sales and not kill yourself in the process? Mm, because I were as I... And as I told you, right, it comes from my experience. I wore my burnout as a badge of honor until it almost killed me. And I, I, that's all I could think about in those 30 days in the hospital while I was recovering is how did I get here? Why did I put hustling so high on the list? And why didn't I change the game so I could play a little smarter and win? And on that yeah. note, who is? Because right. like we were talking about earlier, wouldn't it be better to go and figure out who is and mimic them to get started and try to figure it out from scratch? Yeah. No need to repeat that wheel for sure. Oh, um, have you ever found yourself in the middle of a show and you realize you've got someone who's kind of bullshitting you? They don't really, maybe they don't, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But maybe they just, they don't like you've asked a question and you ask a follow up, and there's, there's just nothing there. I've had some people that you could tell that they were using it as a promotional event. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Where they're like, they know their lines and they can regurgitate them and repeat them from different angles and reframe it, but they're actually not yeah. saying anything useful and they're not saying anything different. Then I've got to, you know, a couple, a little bit through, cause they didn't want to go and do a pre-call, which I learned after a couple of those, that that's a must, right? We uh, lessons through pain. And yeah, and I'm like, you know, people follow your LinkedIn content. You know, I get that you have three to five points that you you hit on. But unless you can go and dive into why they exist, what to do about it, and how, how that all comes together, it's not relevant to the audience. It's just marketing. And yeah. as we both know, not good marketing. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk to me about that. Talk to me... I about I heard you said you said it a couple times now, and I'm really curious about your prep call. You said it's a must now. What kind of things go into that, and do you ever make exceptions? 
Oh, that's a hard question. That's a good question. It comes down to one of the things I realized is that like me and you had, we had good energy when we had our prep call. That's why I was so excited for this is because we were actually having a conversation. One of the things that I noticed is that between that mindset and like their mindset and methodologies on the world, and then also their view of the purpose of the show. If those two, like, you know, the old saying of like willingness to change and willingness to learn kind of that idea, you know, if one's zero and one's 10, it's still zero. Well, if, you know, their mindset and methodology doesn't align with the way I see the world, even, even like remotely, and we don't have good energy, good vibe, we're not, you know, I'm just getting talked at, it has a horrible interview. Like you, how do you even edit that? Like maybe you can do like short clips and hand it off to them. Like, here you go. Here's your promo reel, <laughs> but there's no substance. There's no depth and it's not fun. And I noticed that when a lot of, a lot of our listeners, the ones that have stayed with us is that it's your personality as the host, your style of going through your podcast is what brings them back. Yes. They love your guests. Yes. They, you know, there's, there's more to it, but they really come back for you because they love that style. And when you eliminate yourself from the process, now it's all on them. And that goes back to now you're writing trends. And I think that's why so many people, when they start a podcast, they don't realize how much work it is. Cause my God, I was in that boat. <laughs> there's, there's so much more like we were talking about with distribution, right? And they don't think about the sustainability of it and the real purpose. They just yeah. want to get, they want to get recognized. And it's almost like the, the sellers that they just go for commission. Well, as soon as the money doesn't yeah. come, what do they do? They're out. Well, what do you do? What do you do in that situation? And you've discovered your guest is a huckster, AKA selling SEO. <laughs> I, uh, services. I'm honestly very blunt, but I am respectfully. I'm like, you know, as we're going through this, I'm not getting somewhere where I feel like our audience is really going to gravitate towards it. So yeah. you're doing this probably because you want to promote yourself, right? And you want to get attention. Right. The light that we're shining on you right now, I don't think is going to bring people to you. So it's not even going to fulfill your purpose. So I'm not winning. You're not winning. You know, maybe we just cut our losses. And I'm happy to give you the footage if, if you find that beneficial, but I don't think it's going to come. It's not going to turn out the way you would like. Have you ever like ended, ended early? More than a couple times, unfortunately, but that was, but was before when I was getting rid of that pre-call because I was making exceptions and I was just <laughs> going right, right. And you're yeah. saying, did you make exceptions? Yeah. And every time I've regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> because you, I mean, every time I see something go wrong on a podcast, either I'm in or listening to, I always think it, my theory is that you can always prevent that with some kind of question or topic or discussion on a prep call. You know, like, yeah. oh, they're pitching too much. Well, I'll tell them not to on a prep call. Oh, we don't know. They don't, they're not prepared to answer the question. Oh, well, we can prepare them to answer the question. You know, like anything or they're just not a good guest. Cool. We'll skip all of that and find that out in prep call. So it's just like, such a good investment of time. And it like like what you did, it doesn't need to be long either. Cuz I know right. there's other you know other hosts that I talk to and you know it's our little inner inner circle of everybody like like this show, right? That we're yeah. you know sharing trade secrets. And they're like, "How long's your your pre-call?" One guy d does 2 hours. I'm like, "No, no, no. Like you should be doing your research before the call." to go and validate the journey you're going to take your audience on and what you're going to be asking, right? You shouldn't be figuring out everything. Like it's not a discovery call. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh my God. Are you taking a two hour prep call? Yeah, it was, he was doing two hours of prep, basically doing like a discovery on this person's life to go and find those moments <laughs> and then would do a one hour recording outside of that in which they would book two hours. So they would do a half an hour prep again and then a half an hour to go in. I can't remember. Does what he, he still said. do this? No. <laughs> okay. Can you introduce him to me offline? Sure. Uh, it's too bad. Like, if, if he still was, I would love to go through that process. But uh, I'd love to chat with him offline. Maybe he'll he'll come on here. That's that's fascinating because I understand the intent. Right? It goes back to your very first point about you know finding the story and 
and all that. But yet, yeah, uh, I always laugh when people don't have time, like 15 minutes to prep for a hour long podcast. So I, I don't know if I would push a two hour. <laughs> well, and, he had, on and he had the right intent. Like his yeah, mindset towards yeah. it is, I respect this person. And I want to make them look as great as I possibly can and really put the spotlight on them by really understanding them before. So I don't get sideswiped in the middle of an interview. Yeah. And, but how many people do that in cold calling too? They're like, I'm just going to win on the phone. Like, or you could do a little bit of research and then yeah. it's a beautiful compliment to a great question. Right. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> that's so long. <laughs> it's so long. I don't know how you do 15 minutes is fast. Like I get like, you have to do a lot well, with any meeting, the more prep you do, the shorter it can be. And it's, especially if you're sending something before. So the person's mentally, you know, ready but right. I was impressed when you you did your so quick. I was like, wow, that's a well done. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I can do 15 minutes. <laughs> Lots of practice. Um, you know, I wanted to shift over because and this is kind of a, a question that combines these two topics. So you have sort of stopped midway through with the wrong situation. You've called it what it is. Have you done that on a live show? And can we start transitioning? I'd love to hear more about your live show. Taking has it always been live, and what's that that been like? So the live show originally started because me and Morgan wanted to build in public, and so you you'll appreciate this. I, I I was teasing Morgan. I'm like, "Hey, Morgan," and I respect Morgan, especially as a marketer. And I'm like, "Super cool guy, right? Love that guy." Yeah, and I'm like, totally explain this to me. And I, and I don't mean, and anyone listening, like, I don't mean this to be rude. It, I made it, I made it a bit harsh for the point, not because of the meaning, like the intent behind it. And I said, you know, I make the money as a seller. I give it to you. You spend it to help me make money. But if yeah. our paths never align and you never help me to make more money, why do you have a job? Yeah. And it would be no different if sales was doing the same thing to marketing and marketing is doing an incredible job on demand, creating really good leads that are, you know, beyond just the basic MQL. And then the sellers are just not following up or they're, you know, they're waiting weeks. Right. So it's no different. Right. And so right. I was like, but instead of complaining about it, why don't we go and build in public and let's experiment of what it could actually look like and just share our journey with people and do it in a live show format because we loved talking through things and talking like documenting what had already been done versus trying to go and make up crap as we were going. Right. So I was like, okay, this is what we did this week. And it made it so much easier in a live show format because it was, it was more dynamic. And we also had our audience chiming in and asking questions to get clarification. So we weren't talking at too high of a level or we weren't going too deep in the weeds where it wasn't relevant. Right. And then it wasn't till later that someone had recommended bringing guests on to go in bit like to expand our circle. And originally that's where the big names came in. We're like, Oh, okay. Who do we know that would has a good reputation that we could go and have a great conversation. And there was a lot of trial and error in the start of, and it goes back to what we were just saying earlier that it wasn't a conversation. They were talking at me. And so it really taught me and Morgan who is better for a podcast, who's better for a live show, that dynamics that people want to actually tune in live, not listen to the recording per se. And yeah. that you basically too, like, you know, if you go through the pre-call and you never want them back, you know, if you have to go into an hour live show with them, you know, we've all, we've all went and talked to kids or someone that never wanted to answer your questions. And it feels like you're pulling teeth and that that's kind of what it turns out to be, right? So luckily we've only had maybe one and we learned very quickly that we're never doing that again. Could other people tell? Because sometimes I have like a, just a terrible interview like this one right now and then no one can t – just kidding. And then no one can tell and they're like, that was one of your best ones. I'm like, yeah, I hated every moment of that. that we were just not clicking. Tacit knowledge. Yeah. There's, yeah. you know, because you know what to expect because it's pattern recognition of how things go. It's also why 
I think in the first little bit, you have to sprint to get enough repetitions in to know the difference. And so I would say your first 10 interviews, maybe go and say to yourself that they're not going to go live and make that promise that you're going to put that person first by putting out the best interview you possibly can. And if it doesn't live up to that standard, then do it out of respect out of them, whether or not it's for you or not is moot, right? But God, you're such a nice guy. What's <laughs> but, that, but that's what it is. It's, it's focusing on the guest and, um, and yeah, how much more important is that to prep knowing you're stuck in front of other people and it just makes the awkward that much more awkward. So with that, I've got, this is one of my favorite questions. It's, it's a brand new favorite question. Ooh. So with a live show, what would a novice get wrong? Oh, that's a good one. I think I, I learned it from this guy on a podcast to ask that question. It's pretty cool. I think the hardest part about a live show where a lot of people get wrong is they forget that they also got to build an audience. Cause with a live show, you have to go and get attendance. So it's, it's no different than a podcast in per se, but the, to really win at, at a live show, you need the dynamics of people there. The yeah. one thing that I screwed up on as a novice is I, I just wanted anyone and everyone. But what I realized very quickly into the journey is if I could handpick five to 20 people that I really wanted there because I knew that they were my audience. They were at that level of learning where when they ask questions, it's whatever, you know, it's like, it's like high school where you had that one question. Everybody has that question. And finally, someone puts up their hand and asks that question. You're like, oh, thank God you asked because I wasn't going to, but I didn't know the answer. So thank you. And I, so it's less is more handpick those five to 20 people that attend and then just stay consistent. That's the mm-hmm. other thing. Cause if you're consistent, you can reinvite the people back. And so it doesn't matter how much it just matters how consistently you show up same time, same place, same day, like just boom, boom, boom. And then what you're doing is you build the snowball. And then once you get the snowball rolling, then you got to ask the, the big question of why am I really doing this? And what I notice a lot of people do is they'll start selling or, mm. and I'm sure you see this with podcasts all the time. They'll go after sponsors to go and pay for their time to go and host the show, do distribution or whatever else. And it kills the vibe of the show because I know a lot of the get or the sponsors that reached out to me wanted creative control. So they wanted to go and change our intro. They wanted to go and add different segments in. And I'm like, but if you actually listen to the wow. show, it's so unnatural to how we talk. <laughs> and why would like, you're, you know, you're asking for, you know, the million dollar prize at a $5 budget. So that's also a little misaligned. So, uh, you know, no, thank you. <laughs> and these people that attend, these groupies, these roadies, it, it sounds like it doesn't have to be a large amount. You mentioned 10. It, it could be just enough so that what you get that, that cool input, your guest gets the input. There's some, there's like some wild cards there that wasn't the host asking some wacky question out of left field. It was the get, it was the, not the guest, the audience. And so it's relevant and they want to know. It's like a workshop. Or like when you're, you have, uh, you're managing a team, they tell you, and there's been a lot of research on the golden numbers eight. That is as many people that you can actually get to know at a deep enough level back to pattern recognition to be able to actually coach them. And so if you have a small number and the only reason I, I recommend more is if those people don't always show up. Right. Because they have a life They've too, a right? appointment and now you're suboptimal. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, so if you have you, you got yourself a buffer, then you know these people well enough that when they show up, and if you think about it through the eyes of like change management, why change, why you, why now, they're going to go in as they change their point of view. Now you're watching your whole audience shift. Uh-huh. And they're going to be asking those questions that everybody else is wondering, and they're going to be getting that clarification. So they're almost like the producer in your ear giving you guidance on what to ask or where to go and dive a little bit deeper. And so it takes it from the solo scary thing 
to now it's a team sport. And that was my favorite part about doing it. And it's honestly the thing I miss about us not because we took a little break from doing the weekly live show and I miss it. Sure. And I miss that part because we were, it was a community at that point and the feedback was just unbelievable. Wow. I'm inspired, man. I want to, I want to do that. Uh, I think you'd crush it. It just sounds, it just sounds fun to me. Just uh, in connecting with more, more people than the audience. Final question around this. And I'd love to get to distribution, um, live show, any kind of things you need to do to prep your guest. Who's maybe used to a podcast like this, where we're just hanging. Nobody's really here. How do you prep them to be able to roll with a live audience? So almost like your email that you send out is basically let them know the rules, like just, you know, manage the expectations. There's going to be idiots in the comments, ignore them. I will, you know, any comment that's worthwhile, I'll go and I'll address it later in a Q and a, or I'll bring it up as we go. That way it just doesn't distract you. And you're more than welcome to even like shut off the comments. You don't see them just so that you don't have to worry about somebody being a jerk and frustrating you because there's always that one person that couldn't do it. And their sole job is to go and make somebody else feel inferior. And that's what, you know, the, their gives their bully life. So (laughs) the troll, Oh, and you know, it's bound to happen. But as long as you prep someone and you're like, don't worry about the comments. And then I find that's good. It'll be fine. And also let them know the structure. Like I said, of like kind of managing that expectation just so that it's easy. Right. 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 I kind of imagine that might be one of the aspects that if you do have a guest want to come back on that just the, in the fact that you brought your curated crowd who are active or active and asking these really good questions. I mean, you could have just 80 people, no one's interacting, but to have a chosen few who are asking the right, I mean, there's nothing quite like getting asked the right question as a guest. It feels, it feels so good. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the first time I saw that. I was like, okay, why did that happen? And why did the guests so, ex- it was almost, I think that's another thing in life is we don't give ourselves enough breathing room to reflect and understand why something happened. And so you hear so many people, oh, you got lucky. Yeah, maybe the first time, but if I want to do it again, <laughs> I got to figure out why it happened. More than one episode. <laughs> right? And so... I think if you just give yourself a little bit of space and you like write, give yourself, write down how you feel. And then if something felt really good or something felt really like focus on the, like the extremes and then peel yeah. back the onion. And I, that's what I started doing. And it, it, it made it evolve really quickly. So cool. I, you got me inspired, dude. I, I'm totally want to, totally want to do that. Let's talk distribution. And is this distribution with, with your, with your live audience? Is it distribution just, Listeners in general, talk to me about how you view this. Live audience is a lot easier because you can, if you build the snowball, it's just about being consistent and playing for the long game, right? If you're doing it for sales, I wouldn't recommend it. It's it, the sales will come just like a podcast, but it's because people are following your journey. They agree with your methodology and they're changing with you over time, not because it's a transactional piece that you host one live show and magically you just made a million dollars. Like it doesn't work that way. Uh, But distribution on, well, you think about it. So if you, I think the average podcast has less than a hundred downloads per episode. If you look at, that makes sense. You know, I mean, a hundred's a lot for a small starting show. Yeah, absolutely. But then if you cut out those beautiful, like those really, spicy moments or those those really like spotlight moments and you put them somewhere where they can get attention Mm. that now like justin simon does this so incredibly well if you follow him on linkedin is he talks about how to go and focus on distribution so you know if i have i have the same amount of effort put into production and if i put a little extra time into that post-production what other channels can i open up that can give me a wider audience. And there's some people that just like the shorts. You know, there's the people that love TikTok, but they don't go on YouTube. And there's people that read LinkedIn 
posts, but they won't go and read like an HBR article. And so you're also playing to the different way people like to consume information. And so, you know, you might only get a hundred downloads and that, you know, if they're the right people, that's powerful. But now you add in, you know, I got 500 here and a hundred there and another thousand here and 2,500 there. It really adds up fast. And if you get those people where they really see the value and they want to go on that journey with you, the snowball just keeps building. And next thing you know, it's growing and growing and growing, right? Yeah. Love snowballs, man. Love love the fact that it can continue and continue and continue. We both love this thing. That being said, what would you say is the challenging part for you? What's the most challenging part about shows and podcasting? Time, time requirements. Yeah. I think is because if you think of like return on effort, if you're not really dialed in why you're doing it, I think that's why so many people give up quickly because it's like a new year's resolution. They underestimate Mm. the time required per episode. And yes, it gets, you know, it gets better as you do it more. And it also gets better as you can, you know, outsource certain pieces that you don't love doing, but it's, it's a commitment nonetheless. And I think, you know, that's when we first started, what shocked me the most is just how much time and effort. The easiest part is the production. The easiest part is doing this, especially when you have the right guest and a great host, right? That it makes it so much fun, but like the prep and the research and getting ready and making sure that they're ready. And then also like all the distribution and like making sure that it lives outside of that first week. I, uh, (laughs) I had Nick Bennett on my show and uh, he reached out to me and he's like, so uh, Nick, um, when is our show going live? I'm like, Nick Bennett, it's been live for four months. (laughs) <laughs> and he's like so you never thought to like let me know or like post anything on social and i think that it's so common that build it and they will come is the me- the mindset that most people have right and that was just a beautiful lesson from and nick is such a great great guy that Amazing. he was so respectful about it that he helped me see the light and then i never did it again <laughs> You got to let people know. And even then they may not share it or pay attention to it, but you're right. If you don't, you will never know. Uh, Getting the word out there, man. uh, I have a bit of a hypothetical question for you. Let's Mm -hmm. say we chat again in 50 episodes from now, 50, 50 more live shows from you. What's your vision for your show? Where, where do you see it going? And we chat again, Hopefully we chat before then, but let's say we chat in like a, a year's worth of time. Do you see changes happening? Where where do you see it going? I think that the industry, the sales profession right now, in for the first time in a long time is being forced to change out of necessity where the stupid advice of just do more is no longer relevant or useful. And so I think in 50 episodes of now of like, how do you succeed in sales and not kill yourself in the process? There's going to be people that are really listening and looking for ways outside of the tradition that doesn't work. And so we're going to go in. My biggest thing that I'm trying to push is buyers are not guilty until proven innocent. It is the other way around. And once you understand that marketing now has more purpose, sales development is about preparing people to buy, not convincing them to buy and it changes the whole dynamic. And I wish people knew what I've seen in the past year is that when you nurture properly and you really build that trust and credibility at scale, that they really understand you, they really understand their own problems because of going on that journey with you, that it's like, I know that this tailor, this is where I want to buy my suit. And the only reason I'm going to come to you is when I'm ready to get it customized because mentally I've already bought it. Yeah. But what do most people do instead is they try to chase that person and then hound them to get everything done. And so they extend this entire process. And so what, you know, would take a, they, they make it a year in all reality, the first 11 months when you do it the other way around is demand done at scale, one to few, one to many, the scalable way. And then the last month is all tailoring 
but they've raised their hand. They've opted in. So it's no longer spam. It's no longer guilty until proven innocent. Now it's about, okay, you understand your problem. Now let's find the best way to get to the value you need to move the dial or this isn't worth doing at all. Right. Make sure it's worth doing it. That's how you get over the slumps. That's how you get over the time. All those challenges. Man, powerful, powerful. Not a live show. Maybe the next time we chat, we'll we'll make that happen. Uh, I'm in. Man, so cool. Thank you for coming on here. Schooling me up on these things. Giving me the novice, novice lessons that I need to... Uh, to implement something like this, I'm totally, totally going to do that for my um, my marketing podcast. Going to just let it rip, see what happens. Because I'm dying to know who those people are that have been downloading for years. <laughs> I'd love, to, you know, I'd love to see if we can't inspire a few of them to come join. I would be very surprised if you didn't get a healthy amount that come out. And whenever you're ready, just let me know, and I'm happy to go and give you tips. You don't have to repeat our mistakes, and I can oh, go and please. clarify a few things. And thank you for having me. Thank you for this thank you for doing your research and asking great questions and re- really creating a great environment to have a good conversation. You know, I I can only imagine the lives you've touched by doing this and the tacit knowledge and the, you know, the, the, the mistakes that people are like, Oh, you know, Casey said, if I don't, you know, if I don't do this, then it's not going to work. Or if I do this, it's going to go better. So thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for inviting me to be on the journey. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Feeling is mutual. And for those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I got pages upon pages of notes over here, front and back, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader like one person, three people, 9,000, whatever, but put your own takeaways on it, your own touch, your own spin. What did you get from this? What kind of uh, takeaways around you know spotting the bullshit and the pre-call being so important and, and what in the stories that we shared about when we didn't do it and all the pain that occurred. Uh, so hopefully that'll inspire folks. But yeah, if you, if you learn something, share this with thing. And again, Nick, you're awesome. I'm so glad to know you now and I can't wait to follow you and Morgan and see your show progress and grow. And I'm just excited, man. So thank you again. Thank you. I can't wait to go and chat again. And Hey, when you're ready to go and do that live show, let me know. I'll help Hell you out. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm uh, planting the sword, the flag on the ground right now. I'm going to make that shit happen. Uh, Dude, thank you so much. This has been just a powerful episode of Creating the Greatest Show. We will see you all next time. And next time doesn't have to be next week. Life's too short and we have way too much to talk about. Find show notes full of takeaways, lessons, and links at creatingthegreatestshow.com. For more information on launching your own podcast or working with us to produce your existing show, come on down to the big tent at ringmaster.com. Until then, friends, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Work at it, if necessary, early and late, in season and out of season, not leaving a stone unturned and never deferring for a single hour. That which can be done just as well now. P.T. Barnum.